This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hello, welcome everybody, and thank you for showing up on the very last day at the very last session. Um, we appreciate it. So, yay! <laughs> um, Yay! Um, so we've got a really great panel here today. Everybody is from Buzzsprout except for myself. I'm, I consider myself Buzzsprout adjacent, so you'll find me on the YouTube channel. But this is Jalan and um, Albin and Jordan. So we're going to be speaking. I think those claps were for me. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Um, so yeah, today we're going to be speaking, or uh, talking about indie podcasters and what they're doing. Um, we we don't we don't want to really pit indie podcasters against kind of the bigger names. It's really just a discussion on some of the advantages and disadvantages and what you can take away with and to like, to lean into um, some of the advantages to kind of grow your show or um, continue to do what you're doing. Like hopefully this is a reminder of like that you're just doing a really great job. So um, before we really get into the questions, we're going to start off just by defining what is an indie podcast and use that to um, just carry our entire conversation. So Jalan, can you just really quickly um, describe what is an indie podcast? So for the sake of our conversation, we are defining an indie podcast as a podcast that has not been bought or is not backed by major brand or corporation. So essentially a podcast that's bootstrapping, they don't have um, big dollars behind them. So that's our definition for this conversation. All right. Um, do you have anything to add before we move on? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oops, one second, let's go back, there we go. All right, so I'd like to start things on a positive note. So let's talk about some of the advantages that indie podcasters have. And it's really important to think about this because I think there, we're gonna get into this later, but there's a lot of imposter syndrome, I think, that a lot of indie podcasters have. So um, Albin, what are some of the advantages that indie podcasters have? Yeah, we all know the advantages of having a big show backed by a big brand with a big budget and a big team. And those same positives for the big podcasts are actually, we need to reframe like those, the things that indie don't have as a positive. So what do indies have? We don't have to pay a bunch of budgets. We are able to make not a lot of money and actually be successful. Um, we don't have to get creative approval from a ton of different stakeholders. We don't have to figure out a way to get a big corporation to sign off on a pivot. If we want to do something interesting in marketing, we get to make that decision. And it's so easy to look at somebody who has the editor and the sound engineer, and they've got the setup that we don't have, and go, if I had that, I could make my dream a reality. But in this talk, we're gonna talk a lot about, um, sometimes that's not a reality, because you have so many other people involved in the process that your creative vision gets totally changed. Okay, can you speak a little bit more about, do you have an example of how a creative direction can change so easily with an indie podcast if they want to make a pivot? I mean, complete rebrands. Uh, we see it all the time. Somebody starts off with a show that is just about marketing. And then they realize what they really are enjoying is the software conversations. And they say, oh, this is going to be a software podcast going forward. Or maybe it is just about health and wellness. And then they go, I'm enjoying these other conversations I'm going to you know, brand this around me as the host and talk to all sorts of people. So 
just think like as you grow and as you learn more about what you want to do as a podcaster, you may decide to change the entire topic of the show. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Alvin. All right, so moving on. Um, of course, with advantages, there are disadvantages, right? Downsides. And so, Jordan, can you speak to a bit of the downsides that indie podcasts or indie podcasters have? You know, I think um, maybe the only disadvantage I can really think of for indie podcasters is that they have a learning curve when trying to start their podcast. Um, and then they also maybe don't have the startup funds to create a podcast, but honestly, that's not a big deal because there's nothing you can't do with a $70 USB mic. So mm -hmm. those are the only things I can really think of. And adding on to that, so it sounds like there's a belief that you know it takes a lot of money or takes a lot of like a huge learning curve. So do you feel like, like I know we're going to touch on this later too, is, is that mindset, is that in a disadvantage where, where any podcast might believe that they can't do it? You know, I think that me saying that was actually me trying to grasp for a disadvantage because it's like more of a minor inconvenience. Okay. <laughs> Disadvantage. <laughs> it's like, oh, I gotta spend this time on YouTube or you know, whatever, but mm -hmm. it's, it's really not okay. a huge you, one. I think Alvin, you look like you had something to say. <laughs> I have like a pensive face. I mean, I think the thing that always stuck with me, especially early on was um, imposter syndrome and feeling like you don't belong. If you're an indie podcaster, often that is associated with being a newer podcaster, though that's not always the case. Um, but being a new podcaster, is nerve-wracking and it's tough. You hear the sound of your voice and you're used to this like really beautiful resonating sound because you're hearing it in your own head and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I sound tinny and I, kinda, I don't like this voice, that's how I felt. Or you think of um, a weird turn of phrase that you heard and now you go, oh, there's all these people like in high school who didn't really like me and they're gonna hear this and they're gonna mock me. I thought that, like if I shared this on Facebook, which I don't even like, people are going to think that I'm dumb or full of myself. And like that is a big disadvantage of not being associated with a brand that maybe can give you that credibility, not as much for people outside, but I actually think sometimes for ourselves. So that's the one that I take away. Jalan, I'm curious. I know you have your own podcast, so you are an indie podcaster as well. So what album was saying, can you relate to any of that? Was there something specific that you can, you know, speak to everybody about um, yeah, in terms of that? Yeah, um, I definitely think the mindset piece is the biggest challenge for indie podcasters because you have to embrace the process. You don't get to jump out there and be perfect. You don't get to jump out there with all the validation of people loving you. And so you really do have to do it scared. And that can be difficult. And then you evolve as you go. So you do have that moment where you show up as whoever you think you're supposed to be. And then a couple episodes later, you figure out like, oh wait, no, this is who I'm going to be. And that's a process, like you, you don't start there. And so you have to embrace imperfection from the jump when you're an indie podcaster, because um, you don't have a bunch of people waiting with bated breath to hear your voice. And I think that's a challenge and you have to have a lot of mental resilience for that. Yeah, I love it, do it scared, it's a great takeaway. All right, so we talked a little bit about some of the hurdles and, and the perception many indie podcasters have that the bigger you know, corporate or media companies have a, a bigger advantage and they have a lot of big budgets behind them. And so I think we already spoke to a little bit about it, so maybe we can just be a little bit more specific in terms of how can indie podcasters overcome some of those benefits that corporations or major network podcasts have, right? And we're, we were referring early before to studios and like a gear and even teams, right? Like some shows have, you know, lots of producers and everybody. So um, Jordan, can you speak to some of that? 
Yeah, you know, and I think that people do view, um, indie podcasters do view networks as having an advantage in having like the studio and the nice gear and all that stuff. But honestly, I'm not so sure that it is such an advantage because with studios, I mean, you have the initial cost to like build the thing and then you have the cost to maintain the thing and house the thing. And then you have to like fill the thing with more things. And then you have to have people to run the things. And then you have to like schedule people to use the things because everyone shares, right? And so there's just so many moving parts and it's so complicated and expensive. And so I think that indie podcasters just have so much freedom. Like if something happens and you have to record your podcast at 10 p.m., it's not a big deal because you don't have to rally the troops to record the podcast at 10 p.m. with you. It's just you. And so you're totally fine with that. So I think that um, indie podcasters can do just as good of a job with their podcast using a budget microphone, soundproofing with like a pillow fort, and then, yeah. Out of curiosity, who uses pillows when they're recording their podcasts? All right, all right, couple, great, all right, awesome. Um, <laughs> Album, I'm curious, so I want to talk about the, the like having a team, because it's possible for indie podcasters or indie podcasts to have a team. So even though you may have an editor or maybe like a, a project manager with an indie podcast, are there still advantages over that compared to like a bigger corporate network? Could I follow up on the gear for half a second? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> all right. Does this sound to, does this remind you of anyone? Or how many of you like experience this? You're about to launch the show and then you got hung up for a two to three week period looking at gear on Amazon. <laughs> like you're watching the YouTube channels. You're going, is it this mic or is it this mic? I gotta get the Rodecaster Pro, a whole board. I don't know what it does, but it has the buttons. I'm sure I'm gonna use sounds. I, like people will not have launched and will say, when I'm doing interviews, should I use Zoom or Squadcast? Like, I cannot figure out which one. And I said, oh, do you do interviews? No, we don't do interviews yet, but when we do, that is a form of procrastination where we say, the, in our mind, I don't want to do this because it makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's okay, but when we then project that out onto like the gear, we're like, the gear is what's holding me back. That's our excuse to not move forward. But go look at TikTok and go listen to some of your favorite podcasters and try to figure out what they're actually using. A lot of these people are the people who just start doing stuff and they've got like a $10 mic and it's terrible, but they're making content because they didn't give themselves that excuse. So if you find yourself in that moment of hunting and I have to have it all set up first, that is a form of procrastination. Now for the team. <laughs> <laughs> Every complicated system starts with a simple system, right? And it, the best thing to do is to build a simple system and then expand into a complicated system as you notice the flaws. So the simplest system is I just get behind a mic and I talk for a while and then I edit my own self and then I upload it and then I produce it and it's all out there, full control. I'm not reliant on anybody. But you may end up realizing at some point, an editor, that's the part that's really tough for me. That's cool, then you outsource that and you make it a little bit more complicated. But there is a real value to knowing what happened in the interview. 
you know, now does the editor listen in while it's happening or they have to go through and listen multiple times to find the right spots. As the host of a podcast, you're often able to go, I really did not like the way I phrased that question. Let me re-record that real quick. I really did not like that segment. Um, I just don't think it's valuable for my audience. You clip it. All that's already in your head. And so you have this really beautiful, simple system and you get to involve people when it makes sense for you. Yeah, it sounds like it's a great way to just learn on the go. It's much easier to learn on the go because you're involved in all the moving parts. Is that my paraphrasing what you're saying? Yeah, well, okay. for sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, great. Oh, let's move on. All right. So, uh, we so um, we're going to touch a little bit on content topic creation. So um, I I do I have an um, I was also I'm on like I have an indie podcast and then I also work with bigger teams. And so when we have bigger teams, we we do all the iteration and the topic selection with a lot of people. So there's a lot of people and there's advantages to that. But do indie podcasts have an advantage by just having a team of one or a co-host? And I'm really curious as to whether or not you feel, John, that indie podcasts have more options, like when we're coming up with content or guests or topic creation. I really high-key feel like this is where we shine and it's one of our strengths. Mm. Um, not only are you able to, like creative control is everything. I mean, if you want to pivot, you can. Um, if you decide that you want to try out something different, you have the opportunity to experiment. You can um, embrace trial and error. You can um, allow your show to evolve naturally because they all have and they usually all do. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not running that through typically anybody but yourself. And so if you have an aha moment and you would love to try something different for one episode, for a series, you can. You can do that. You're not asking anybody if you can do that. Um, and I, we talked about this a little bit. I think the music industry is kind of coming into this place where they're realizing the benefit of ownership and creative control. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, podcasting is not, I mean, it is a little bit younger, definitely. Um, but we haven't hit that point where we realize our powers and our ownership, especially when it comes to content and the ability to create and to innovate and to evolve. Um, and so when it comes to topics, you can tackle riskier topics that another, um, if you had a, a big corporate backing, they wouldn't want you to touch. You could try out different types of guests if you like to. Um, there's just so much leeway and freedom to become all that your podcast really can become. You can explore your full potential um, content-wise as an indie podcaster. Yeah, and ju just when you were saying that, it just reminds me of bigger corporations and they have brands, right? They have like mar like the marketing, like that everything has to stay on brand, right? Everything from the language to the artwork. And so when they want to shift, like maybe do an experiment, it can be difficult because it has to, they have to make sure it aligns with the brand and, and the messaging. And I'm in the finance industry, so you have to go through legal and compliance, all of those things. So it is an extra hurdle. So um, that really makes sense. And just to follow up with that, actually, you know, Albin, you look like you really want to say something. Let's go to you first. <laughs> all right do y'all remember two and a half men it was the number one comedy in the united states but it wasn't funny like i i don't know people that were like i love that show and it was like you knew what the joke was coming and it was always like some kind of weird sex joke and then there was a laugh track behind it and you're like this isn't good comedy but that's comedy when they're trying to hit a broad market it has to be a joke that everyone gets. It has to be a joke that won't really offend anybody. And it's when we create stuff for a really broad market, it gets really watered down. Look at the top shows, what are they? Celebrity interviews, true crime, 
yeah, I, that's it. <laughs> if, like, I, there's not many types of shows. They're doing the same stuff all the time. Uh -huh. Same reason we have like 400 Marvel movies right now. Like we're doing the same stuff because we know the formula and the formula makes us the money to pay the team. When you've got that big team, you have to go broad and we can't do more risky content or something that's more important to us or niche down a lot. Like, and so when the money gets involved, there's an obligation to the money. And so by not involving a ton of money, that obligation has been removed. Do any of you three have examples of indie shows that have just you know, decided, hey, one day I'm gonna experiment and it worked or didn't work for them? I can give you an example of a good show that got canceled because of this. In the Dark won Peabody Awards. It probably saved someone's life. It took a case to the Supreme Court by looking at policing and how things were investigated. Third season gets canceled. And they're like, we got 50 million downloads. And you end up hearing like, as the story gets pulled apart, it looks like the show just got canceled because we weren't able to like get a specific person to fund this for us. As soon as the money like didn't fully work out, they weren't able to really look at lots of different ways to fund it, and they just, you know, eight people lost their jobs. Over a show that was winning awards, like really good podcast. If that was an indie show and they were able to do something with a smaller team, like they may be able to start up a Patreon or get listener support or run ads um, you have just so many more options. And so you can keep some of these really wonderful shows that aren't broad appeal um, out in the open. Yeah, and just in terms of like content topic selection, I'm thinking about more like more controversial topics or things that maybe um, bigger companies may not want to touch. I'm wondering if there's any kind of insights or examples that you guys might have from that. I think if you, I, I think journalistic type podcasts really um, are the ones, there's a podcast that I stumbled upon called Drilled, and they're basically holding corporations accountable for climate crime. Mm -hmm. So that's anybody and everybody could be a target for like, hey, we just noticed you did this thing. And a corporation is not gonna wanna touch that, you know, because mm -hmm. I could be that corporation that you whistleblow on. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, journalistic type writing, I think even audio dramas, if you wanna do something different, if you wanna let, you know, one of your listeners pick how the story ends this episode, mm -hmm. those are kind of risky things to do, mm -hmm. um, but it could work and it could be amazing, but it could also be risky. Yeah, I love that. And just um, that reminds me of even just like a guest, like bringing a guest on a show. So if you have a major corporation and you have a, sh a branded podcast, for example, and you want to bring on a guest and they happen to be a competitor in the industry, no matter how prolific they are, most likely you're not going to bring that person on. So there is some, you know, even if it's just like in the background, it does influence, um, you know, how you can choose, you know, content and topic selection. So, all right. Um, next question is, right, we talked a lot about indie podcasts and, you know, the great ways that they have advantages. We're going to switch gears and talk about major corporations. And it's really important to think about that is because then we can figure out how we can, you know, indie podcasts and really lean into or figure out, like, how can we use these advantages or, like, are these advantages really for me, right? So, um, yeah, let's talk about the advantages of corporate or major network podcasts have over indie podcasts. Um, first, we're going to talk about marketing. So, um, Albin. <laughs> um, so, feed drops. You know, how many of you learned about S-Town because you listened to Serial 
And then they dropped in an episode and said, hey, we got this new podcast that we worked on. You're really going to like it. And so many of these really big shows, um, you look at networks like iHeart, they always cross-promo shows. And so there is a really big value to getting a big initial listener base. And you can get that by saying, we've got another show, and putting that on everything in the network. So that's just a huge benefit. Um, people to submit those shows for awards. You see a lot of awards are won by people in larger organizations. I think a big piece of that is that the indies, we don't know where these award shows are. We don't know who to reach out to. We maybe don't have the money to submit it. Um, it's a little bit easier when you've got a company that has actually built up knowledge of how to win awards. And then just like marketing budgets and having already built lookalike audiences on Facebook so they know who to target. So there's lots of advantages definitely on that marketing side. Interesting. And, and as you were saying about, you know, promo swaps or trailer drops, things like that, there are some indie networks, I feel like there's in the audio drama community, and I cannot remember the name of it, apologies, but one of the shows is called the Amelia Network. And I find that really interesting. So I'm wondering, yes, that is an advantage for a corporation, but I'm wondering if indie podcasters are thinking about that and really leaning into it and wondering what, you're think, what you th your thoughts are on that. I mean, indies are absolutely doing this, so I don't mean to imply that they're not. I'm saying when you've got a show that gets 50 million downloads an episode or 10 million downloads a month, and they drew a feed drop for you, that's a huge listener-based jump, and then that is going to knock you to the top of a lot of charts. So that is really helpful. But indies are able to do this a bit more effectively, at least on the targeting side, right? Because mm. you can find someone with a very similar topic because these are always broad appeal shows, uh, talking about broad appeal shows. So we can actually find someone very close in our niche, um, not to be like too self-promotional, but Buzzsprout launched a <laughs> tool to allow people to pay to have your podcast promoted in other shows if you don't have the time to do those promo swaps yourself. Uh, but there are ways for us to do this as indie creators um, to actually start doing those feed drops. Right. So what you're saying is, it's if we if um, podcasts do that as in like indie podcasts do that, it it feels like a lot more targeted because they have a smaller audience. Whereas with a major corporation, it's um, what's that term? Oh no, actually, I'm not going to use it. Sorry, uh, <laughs> not appropriate. Um, you just kind of throw spaghetti at the wall and hope it sticks, yeah. basically. Right. Okay. Great. I think some of you guys know what I was going to say. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> So yeah, uh, speaking of promo drops, so this leads nicely into the next question about marketing. So uh, when I ask this question, we're just going to assume that many of you know different tactics to market your shows. But I would, I'm really, really curious. Um, how can it's like some of the you know really common ways to market your podcasts? Is, um, how can they market their shows um, a lot more effectively? I'm <laughs> You're like, who's answering? <laughs> I'm marketing myself right now. Um, <laughs> one of the best things that indies can do to market their show is to be agile. So there was a point in 2008 where if you got a podcast onto YouTube and you started putting out full-length episodes, that was driving a ton of views. And you can think of a lot of podcasters, that's how they grew. In the last year, it seems like this is a moment for TikTok, where there are podcasters who are cutting up into clips and posting them on TikTok and are doing it really well. When you're in a big company and you start saying things like, 
hey, I want to like start chopping this up and putting it on TikTok or experimenting with this new video thing that's run by, or I guess not by then, by Google, but this new video streaming. People have to have a say, and legal wants to be involved. And like, have you ever heard this phrase, like you're either happy, you have a life, or you're good uh, terms with legal, like pick two of those. Like you can't do it all and get everything passed through uh, legal all the time. When you're by yourself, you can say, this is the new thing, I'm gonna try it. So being agile and finding the new areas. I think, an, I think another thing that is highly, highly successful for indie podcasters with marketing their shows is obviously um, guesting on other podcasts. Like, yes, you can do promo swaps and things like that, but that means that you get 20 seconds to 30 seconds of their audience's time. Whereas if you guest on a podcast, you get the entire episode to tell their audience why you are so amazing and awesome and should come, they should come listen to your podcast. So I think that's one of my favorites. Yep. Jelani, do you have anything, any tactics that you think are great? Jordan stole mine. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I love examples. I love giving examples. Are there any examples of shows that you feel like have done a really good job of marketing their indie podcasts? I mean, on TikTok, like I just said, I would look at um, Mark Say for Everything Everywhere or My First Million, which may not actually be in any, so maybe let me take that one back. But like people who have been successful on TikTok, there's quite a few podcasters who are really leaning into this right now and are experiencing quite a bit of growth. So that would be what I would be looking at right now. Okay. And what about you, Jordan? No. No? Okay. <laughs> Um, I actually, this is a new podcast. It's called Worst Asian Podcast. It's a very self-deprecating, anyways, they're accidentally funny, they're wonderful. And what I thought was really smart about it is, when you're talking about going on in indie, or when you're guesting on another podcast, you're basically leveraging someone's audience, right? But there's different ways that you can do that. So what I found that, that was really smart of them is they would actually um, network with other Asian business owners, and it could be brick and mortar, it doesn't have to be podcast related, and they would just like, you know, be, be like, kind of befriend them and be cool, and, and they would, um, these people would love them so much that they would actually use their own platform to be like, hey, I'm on this episode, or like, listen to this episode. And it had nothing to do with podcasting, but because they had an audience and they were Asian, you know, creators and, and business owners, it just really was like on brand for them to promote an Asian themed podcast. So I thought that was really smart. So um, yeah, just thinking of ways to really leverage an existing audience, I think is probably one of the most, for me, uh, in my experience, just seeing um, really, really effective in marketing shows. It's, it's free. It's a little bit more work, I would say, than paying for ads, but it's, it's free. So Okay, so measuring success, I know many of you may want to eventually monetize your shows or are already monetizing and want to grow your income. Um, so let's talk about the differences between that. Or, uh, that's a measure of success, right? Measure of success is monetizing. It's one of them. So I'm, you know, it'd be interesting to discuss the idea, like how they differ between um, indie and major network podcasts. Like what, like what are the ways they, they um, measure success? So I'm really curious to hear about that. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously profit is one of the biggest measures and that's because with networks, you know, they have um, net network execs and investors to answer to, you know, and so they have to turn a profit really quickly. And so their measurement of success is uh, 
usually a pretty fast track kind of thing and it's a lot of money because they have a lot of people to pay and to pay out mm-hmm. and um so i think that that kind of differs from indie podcasters because be, because indie podcasters you know monetarily they're level of success might be like, yeah, I'm doing this thing I really like, and I get to go out to a fancy restaurant every month, you know, or something like that. Um, so that's one of the ways that I definitely think. Mm-hmm. Alvin, do you have anything to add about different measures of success? Yeah, in the old days of Buzzsprout, uh, when we first started, it just happened to be we had lots of churches and nonprofits and NGOs. Um, very few big brands were podcasting, and we didn't have as many individuals. And what we kept seeing was their measure of success was, I have an important thing to get out to the world. I wanna tell people about what this nonprofit is doing. We have a message we need to share with people. And so they would say to us, like, what's the measure of success? And we'd say, well, you, you have 30 people listening. 30 people? Oh, we're a church of 50. And if another 30 are listening, that's massive for us. Or we're going and we're having a meeting where we're talking to 20 stakeholders and now we're finding out 200 other people are listening. And when they were able to reframe it as getting an important message to the right people, they started looking at numbers that were much smaller and saying, this is a real success for us. So it just depends on the type of show, uh, how you would measure success. And it's not always money or big numbers. Right, and Jalan, when you first started podcasting, did you have like, your measures of success and just what, what that was? Uh, yeah, I, can I piggyback off of what Sure, Alan go said? ahead. Okay, yes. it kind of ties in, I'll promise I'll bring it back. Um, I think it is really important mm-hmm. to define what success will look like for you because, you know, like the saying says, comparison is a thief of joy. If your heartbeat is to get an important message out, but you get caught up in numbers, your, your enjoyment of a thing that you had authentic enjoyment of is gone. Um, And so for me, when I first started podcasting, a win for me was like, okay, I'm doing the thing I said I was going to do for like a year, you know, Mm. Um, and it was, and then consistency was a big success. I definitely patted myself on the back and I was like, episodes out weekly. We did that for three weeks straight, you know? Um, So I, I definitely think it is important to define, to at the, like the onset, define what success looks like for you so that you can enjoy the medium. Um, Otherwise you'll get caught up in everybody else's definition of success. Yeah, like comparison is definitely very, very real. And when we talk about numbers, um, we started publishing this on Buzzsprout so that these were a little bit more open for people. You hear about the really big shows, like tens of millions of downloads or hundreds of thousands of followers. And the average podcaster on Buzzsprout, the median podcaster, is getting 29 plays per episode. That's very different from these massive shows. Um, when you start getting up into four or 5,000, that's almost top 1%. And so you can go, um, it's on Buzzsprout, if you search podcasting stats, Buzzsprout, we would share all of this with you. But once you start seeing the reality, you can realize like, if you just stick with podcasting for a year, you're going to be in that top 25%. Um, just a very different numbers game when you start looking at indies. Yeah, and just um, hearing everybody talk so far about this, it seems like it's the measure of success feels, um, how do I put it, like it's, it's almost like a, like a lower barrier or like less pressure, whereas like with a major network or a major, like a corporate podcast, you know, maybe it's a brand building effort or it's, you know, they really want to make a lot of money with this and it's, it's a lot of pressure to measure that version of success. Whereas if it's, hey, yay, I got this three weeks in a row, like that's kind of feels less, 
you know, daunting, if that makes sense. That's what I'm getting from it. All right. <laughs> Great. All right. We, we did talk a little bit about this, but we're going to specifically ask it is, um, again, many different ways to monetize your podcasts. Um, so what are some of the best ways or how can indie shows best monetize their podcasts? This is a really, really great time to be a podcaster because there's so many different ways to monetize podcasts. You can make money backwards and forwards and up and down using your podcast. So um, there's obviously things like listener donations, you know, buy me a coffee, PayPal, things like that. And then there's also value for value now, like in podcatchers where uh, you can have uh, Satoshis sent to your podcast. And then um, there's sponsorships and affiliate marketing, and then there's programmatic dynamic ad insertion, and you can have merch. There's some podcasts that have really, really great merch sales because there's like inside jokes that they have with their listeners, um, and that's really great. And then, um, oh gosh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I know I'm forgetting something, but yeah, there's like, the moral is there's a lot of <laughs> ways to make money with your podcast. Uh, when you have a really big show, you're able to monetize every listener a very small amount. And that's the whole idea behind TV advertising or radio is I have a big listener base, a lot of people's attention, and so I can sell it off for a little low amount. And when we have smaller shows, we are hoping to get a lot more money per person. Does that make sense? So I, a couple unique ideas I've seen. Uh, we had someone on Buzzsprout who was talking about I think he had like a spiritual productivity. It was about being productive and had kind of a religious bend to it. And so he built up a listenership and it wasn't that big. And then he said, I think it's time for me to do a book with all the principles we've talked about. So I'm just gonna make a planner. Would anybody buy that if I did? And started pre-selling this planner well before he'd ever even started working on it and goes, oh, I've got thousands of planners being sold. So. If you have a specific topic, you can start thinking about unique ways that you can monetize that. Um, obviously, listener donations are cool. Somewhere there's bonus content if you have. That's what I um, forgot. <laughs> Subscriptions. <laughs> Subscriptions. <laughs> um, there's indie podcasts that their whole idea is if I have advertisers, I can get advertisers pulling out if they don't like the content. Mm -hmm. If I'm speaking to a a company and holding them account for something they've done and they go, yeah, we're not going to be associated with that anymore. Well, when you have listener supported shows, you've totally removed um, that ability for that to just disappear for you. I think we were all discussing this um, before we came on stage um, about, I don't know if anybody has ever heard of the show You're Wrong About or maintenance phase, and they started, it's basically like a really interesting concept where one, it's like a Socratic style um, show where one person comes with all this knowledge and they're debunking a topic and the other person kind of just reacts to it. And the audio, I mean like, Every kind of like audio mistake you can make, they probably made. <laughs> um, but they were just, they like that show blew up. Their, their patrons, like, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how much it is now, but it was like they had merch. It was just a really great like example of leveraging into their audience. And they have, they have merch with inside jokes as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really great. So, Jalan, do you have another, do you have another example? I don't want to leave you out of, of any shows that. <laughs> My favorite is merch. And I think that's because I love to see a loyal fan base. And I think that when we talk about like success for 
um, indie podcasters to have a following and people that are really bought in and are willing to spend their dollars on something to just be associated with your brand and then rep it out in the world. Um, I, I love merch for that reason. It feels like you get to own a piece of the podcast. You're a part of this community. There's that buy-in and then they're just walking billboards. And, yeah. um, mm. and I, I think that's just a really cool way to monetize as well. Yeah, speaking of like a community, so another show, um, it's called Real Talk Radio, or it was formerly called Real Talk Radio, and this host is just like really amazing at talking about really vulnerable subjects that nobody wants to talk about, and so she realized that her listeners were really craving those conversations, so she actually created, her Patreon, Patreon community is basically like a forum, and it's like the most active forum I've ever seen, and so we'll pay to literally just be part of this community, so that's how she leveraged it, by, by really realizing what was the main advantage of her show, and why people came and so for an indie show it's it's almost I don't want to say easier to figure out what the advantages are but then if you're a team of one you can just make that decision on the fly like we talked about earlier to experiment and and see kind of what sticks so I thought that's just like it's just wonderful there's so many different ways that we can really really leverage our podcast so um we alluded to this earlier, last question. Um, it's about imposter syndrome, right? We, um, in general, like indie podcasters, really want to compare ourselves to the bigger players or even like bigger indie podcasts who've been around for much, much longer than, you know, than they have. And so it's really hard not to compare it because you kind of see it everywhere. Like when we're in the Exo Hall, you kind of see, you know, Disney and, and ABC News and all of those podcasts. So it's hard not to see how like successful they are. Um, but I'm really curious, Jalon, if there's any way, you know, any tips that you can give to um, everybody listening on how to overcome that, like how to overcome the imposter syndrome associated with kind of looking at the bigger shows or the bigger names? Um, so I, like, would love to normalize imposter syndrome is something that I think whenever you get in front of your mic, you're like, like, who am I? What am I doing? This is weird. You know, there's that feeling um, that kind of rises up. Where it's like, my voice sound weird, and you can just get really intense on yourself. Um, but I would just really encourage you to kind of just pause and just make a lit, like what do you have going for you? Imposter syndrome is all about feeling like you're a fraud, right? It's all about feeling like I, I shouldn't be speaking to this thing. Who am I to say this thing? Um, and one of my favorite poems by Marian Wilson is, has this line in it where it's like, who am I not to be amazing, wonderful, awesome? We're all made that way. Um, and so what I love about podcasting is that anybody and everybody can have a voice because that is your birthright, right? And so when you're sitting in that space, when you're putting your voice out into the world, take stock of, of what you have going for you. I have a loyal fan base. I'm speaking to something from my unique perspective and no one can replace me. Um, people need to know about this. I felt alone about this issue. I don't want anybody else to feel that way. Really take stock of what it is that you're bringing to the table because you're bringing not just one thing, but I would argue a multitude of things. Um, and so in that way, you can stand in your space and really take up space um, because it is your space to speak and have a voice in the world. Um, but then as, as well as that, you know, you're human. Embrace the process like we talked about. Um, you're going to make mistakes. There are going to be plosives. There's going to be a late episode. That's going to happen. But embrace the process and commit to it. Um, I think sometimes with imposter syndrome, the idea is it, it kind of wearies out your resolve mm. and your willingness to show up and be imperfect, um, but you're going to be imperfect. So just go ahead and swallow that. It's a, it's a badge of honor. That's how it's going to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're going to fail. That's going to happen too. Let's just get all this out of the way. You know, like that's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to have an episode that you thought was amazing that might have low numbers. It's going to happen. Um, but persevere and continue on anyway, um, because that's what this is. This is, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up for my people. I'm going to show up for myself. Um, and I deserve to be here. And you kind of need to assert that each time you get in front of your microphone. 
I feel like it's important to remember we do not move through imposter syndrome except for one way, and it's doing the thing that you don't want to do. Absolutely. Like there, there are a few people in the world who like do have this ability to just do stuff and believe that like they're amazing all the time, but they are very, very few. And I think it might be like a psychological disorder. <laughs> so like to feel that you don't like deserve to do something or you're like, oh, other people are better at me. Of course they're better. They're doing it now, and I'm not doing it yet. So I'm going to be bad in the beginning, and that's okay. You get better by doing the thing, and then you go, oh, it's okay that I missed an episode. It's okay that I have a, like, not a perfect edit. It will not be perfect in the beginning. But as you do the thing that you're afraid of, it becomes really easy. It will become second nature. Yeah. Jordan, do you have anything to add before we end? <laughs> nah. <laughs> that was perfect. That was great. Yeah, you guys did excellent. Well, um, well, thank you very much, everybody. Um, we have, I think, two minutes left, so we can do maybe one or two questions for Q&A if anybody has any questions that they would like to ask. Anybody? Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So I do want to ask this question around um, independent podcasters coming together. So you hear of networks and everything like that. Are there opportunities for independent podcasters who might be in the same niche to all come together and sell ad space together? And if so, what would you recommend for those who are trying to go that route? Why are you laughing? <laughs> I feel like you're just very kindly setting us up to talk about Buzzsprout ads. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Buzzsprout uh, just recently launched Buzzsprout Ads. It's the best way for indie podcasters to monetize their shows. Uh, for indies, we have lots of unique uh, disadvantages for selling ads. It's hard to source the ads. We need to make sure that we actually approve the content, and then we need to make sure that we're actually monetizing the entire back catalog because that's um, where a lot of our plays are still coming from. So Buzzsprout Ads has a lot of features that are uh, targeted for indie podcasters. Um, but I don't want this to become too much of a buzzword. Yeah, I, I kind of go ahead. I kind of feel like um, another answer to this would be to join a collective or to start a collective. Mm -hmm. If you want to get a group of podcasters together and like share monetization, like that's one. And it's not quite like being in like a big network or anything like that. It's a little different. It's a little more community based. Um, just to piggyback on that, there are examples of shows that do that, but what I would suggest if, if um, any of you were interested in, in joining Collective or creating your own network is to find a show that already has a pretty good like base or a decent engagement, and then when you are negotiating with sponsors or negotiating with ads, like leverage that show and say, like, listen, they've already had this. Collectively, now we have this many downloads a month, or collective, this is the engagement, so that you have that kind of, like, like, I'm going to air quote this credibility with a bigger show, a bigger indie show, but then, you know, you're, like, you're also bringing along all of these other numbers with us. So that would be an interest, like, that would be what I would suggest. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we have about 10 seconds left, um, but I saw other hands go up. Um, I'm going to be around a little bit. Unfortunately, they have to catch their flights. <laughs> but um, I'm around happy to answer any questions um, anybody may have, and thank you so much for joining us.